Boom. There we go. We are live. We're live. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Very good. Um, rustled out of bed. Right, right. Early afternoon. Rustled out of bed. Not really afternoon. Ten thirty. It's um. It. This is crazy. I. I. During the week, I was thinking about this. I'm like, wow. This weekend, we're gonna record the fifth podcast. I'm trying to gauge right now, like how many does it feel like we've done and how much we've we've really done. But, but yeah, I think it's a uh, pretty cool. I feel it feels like we've done more because we always talk before and after. So like, <laughs> I feel like we're recording more. <laughs> Definitely, man. All right, hey Darius. First thing, what did you wear on the wrist this week? This week was AP week for Ooh. me because last week was Rolex week. So I went back to AP and. Okay, funny, you know what, funny story, not so funny, more annoying, but I was interacting with like some ladies um, and it was like a mom and daughter, so they were wearing jewelry and they had this really snooty attitude. Oh no. And when they're waving by, like they made a point to wave their Rolex Presidential 36 red dial <laughs> like, 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 a, like a queen no. wave <laughs> yeah like in 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 my face sounds like okay like, because like when someone to? does that like because there's like oh basically saying like i'm an ass right and basically like saying like we are holier than thou because we're wearing essentially a forty thousand dollar rolex it took a lot of effort not to say i am also wearing something of that caliber mm-hmm. if not rarer if not more substantial in my opinion yeah if not rarer right but whatever people are annoying people suck don't be that person i think that's why i started this in the beginning is i saw so much snobbery within the you know watch community and as well in the sneaker community and how just how do you make it more pedestrian and make make it more palatable for everyone just to get into this hobby. It's not about this highbrow, you know, kind of status. It can be, but I think for my objective, it, it's far from it. It's not necessary. Not necessary, correct. Well put. That's for you. What was on your week, on your wrist this week? My English. wrist, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I, I forgive you. It's it's pretty early right now. But for this week, uh, I mean, I posted about it in, in a photo is um, I wore my Casio databank. Uh, calculator watch. The data bank. Yeah, and I think it's such a fun watch. Um, the reason, and let me dive into this, the reason why this week there was no BB58 or even Explorer is I had to run production and I had to do a mm. lot of things with uh, with my hands and, you know, watches get banged up a lot when I when I have to run production. My usual watch is uh, either the SKX or the Turtle, uh, but I don't know, for fun, I was like, hey, let me just put this thin, you know, flimsy uh, calculator watch on uh, and I think yeah it, it's just for me I put it on it's fun um, it tells the time when I look at it, it keeps pretty good time and I don't use I don't really use the, the calculator function at all going back to cheating on grade school math tests oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't tell me <laughs> don't tell me no, I never owned one of those I didn't oh, do that Oh, that that would be pretty funny. I think if you grew up uh, when it first came out, probably in the 80s or like 90s, if, if you had that in, in the classroom um, and you've cheated on, on, on tests like that, that is pretty hilarious because the, the numerals and the, the keypad or the number pad on that is terrible to use. It's and terrible. You, you have to be like, you'd be using like a, 
a one little pencil piece of lead to get into there. No, um, and my fingers are too too fat to to even punch in. One it's number. not happening. Yeah, I'm punching multiple multiple numbers. All right, we're gonna dive into it. Um, really interesting thing that we both saw uh, was Hodinkee uh, wrote an article this week um, for the Oris Diver sixty five. I think it was a Chrono in bronze. Uh, I think my first yes. uh, question to you is. Initial thoughts about that watch in general? I like Oris and I like Chronos. Diver Chronos, um, I think, are cool because no one's really going to be using a Chrono while diving. That's what the dive bell is all for. <laughs> is yeah. for. But, you know, I think it's cool that, that it even exists. I think it's really cool for bronze as a dive watch just because of how patented it gets. I think bronze could be seen as sort of a... Um, Sort of like a trend, less so a actual choice by the brand to make something different. Because there's a lot of dive watches out there with bronze or bronze elements. That's my thoughts on it. I'm trying to soak that in right now. Um, you, I would agree. Bronze as a material um, to build a watch out of does feel more like a, like a trend or, or fad right now. Uh, I think bronze patinas really well. I mean, I I own a fee, like I own a guitar, and by the bridge, it's all bronze. With Oris, what I've enjoyed in the past was their Diver sixty five. Number one, I love that collection um, because the design language is really um, classic uh, when you look at the dive watch, and it's at a very very good price point, very competitive. But what I liked about the other Diver sixty five is that the the bronze was used more in the bezel just on the side yeah. and i think when you patina that area it would look really really great especially when you start to get some green or some darker bronze tones but i think as a whole watch in bronze um some people may really like that aesthetic i think the you know, panerai has panerai done anything with bronze or like something yeah they like have the really bronze though yeah like i see that it doesn't appeal to me though i love old things and though i love patinaed things um just everything encased in bronze it, it, to me uh, the, the aesthetic isn't something i'm after however i like it when it's used on a certain area so with the bezel yeah. great thing whole watch not so much and this one's on a on a bracelet on a bronze bracelet yeah you could just imagine probably within your first week of wear you're going to get some pretty you know you're going to get your your finger marks your oil's going to get on it down the line I'm not sure if I enjoy the color green on my wrist like that, especially yeah. with the bracelet. Yeah, I think I think they have a they have a picture on this on this article where they show a bronze Oris with on a NATO with bronze um, buckles. That mm -hmm. looks really cool. Oh, on but a... I think having green on the entire bracelet is gonna be a. I would not. I would not want that. Hey, I I didn't know that. Hmm. I guess with the styling on a NATO strap or, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, fabric strap, I, I've heard that term as well, as well but uh, it would look a lot better. Um, I think so, too. But how, I want to go back to, to your point, too. A chronograph diver, you hit it right there, is that no one's going to, you know, engage your chronograph in the sea. But it's cool, I think, as well, is because there's so much functionality. 
I know that there are a lot of people that harp on the Tudor uh, Black Bay Chrono, and they're and they're saying mm -hmm. like it doesn't make sense. Like your snowflake can you know takes up my entire sub dial when I'm trying to to time something, but I think there is something really uh, utilitarian about having the function of a diver and a and a chronograph. So I like that idea as well. Yeah, because you're gonna come out of the water, jump in your race car, and then go racing. <laughs> all-encompassing it encompasses all, all exactly and i think the aesthetic of it too is is very nice it looks great i think it looks great it's it's something that um i mean look i don't really like s and like silver and gold watches but the black bay uh, sng you know it kind of when it first came out i think two years ago um and i think david beckham was doing a whole campaign on it not not david but yeah it was right yeah um, I thought it looked great, um, but a lot of people, again, they, they have their, their they have their thoughts about it. But how would you think you would implement that into, into your lifestyle? I would want the Richard Mill Chrono Diver because that's ridiculous and I love ridiculous things. And I think that, that really encapsulates the idea of this is a watch that can do everything and it has a lot of technical merit, but it is a wholly different beast entirely just because the nature of what it is and how like crazy it is i love that it's like chrono diver people argue you might not use it and it's like useless and then richard mill people also argue it is useless and you will never use it i love it because of that it's like you know what they made it and they made it because they wanted to, and they made it very, very well. And you can't really argue that Richard Mill watches aren't made well to a, a very amazing. high engineering standard. Yeah. And I love it for that. Of course. So Chrono Divers, you're all for it. All for it. Yeah, I'm all for it too. Um, I, I guess from from my standpoint of why I think it, it is functional and it's something that you know, we should be a little more open to in the watch world is uh, from my understanding and what I've done with research and old chronographs, those have always been really fragile. Chronographs have always been very fragile movements in a sense. Um, and, and to implement that water resistance in there, right? And being able to go down to those depths, I think is a great thing. It might not be a big leap um, in terms of RM, doing that kind of engineering, but it's also just one-upping, hey, you know, chronographs in the past may have only, what was it, um, 10 meters, 30 meters of water resistance, right? And now, you know, using our, our technology in our case and all of that, you know, patented engineering, now it's going to be something more durable. So I, I like that the two worlds are coming together, both the motorsports and, and, the, and the divers. And yeah. Exactly, and it brings it all together. Yeah, it, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, I... I remember, again, I'm, I'm always thinking back, I guess because it's 2020 and things are a little crazy, but I always think back and I'd be so excited every year. It's, I'm, I'm waiting to see, you know, uh, Basel World, I'm waiting to see all the, all the highlights and the releases. Um, and there's another, there's another conference and hopefully you can tell me about it. Um, it starts with an S. What was it?
I no, it's not I N. S I H H. Yes, S I H H. So I'd always be so hyped up about about these releases and looking at press photos and you know going on YouTube and seeing their their press releases with like the the dummy watches or even fully functioning pieces. Yeah. Now this this uh, this year it seems like everything was on a pause. Um, strategies from brands were you know they're they're trying to see okay well what what can we do now if there's no physical thing that we can attend to um, how do we get laces out um, yeah that's pretty inter- you know it's it's been pretty crazy to. To not have that sort of exclusive ex- exclusive look from those photos. I think it was really cool because we got to see in you know SIHH and Basel World Time in 2020 what it was supposed to be the show. You see a divergence of brands, you know, embracing digital te- media, and then some that you know what we're just gonna hold off and wait for 2021 or until we deem it is necessary or appropriate for us to release. Like um like a lot of brands, Breitling I believe did mostly digital for 2020 and then Patek did um they held off Patek held off for that time until they released it now Basel World was canceled to the first time in like over a hundred years yeah, of its show Dennis which is insane like in cra- crazy Basel World slash Watches and Wonders when they rebranded but now the same owners of Basel World and the same people who run Basel World Watches and Wonders are planning on a new show, April eighth to twelfth, eighth to twelfth in twenty twenty one in Basel, Switzerland, called Our Universe. Our spelled like time, like H O U R. Oh, mm-hmm. so w- w- that's that's pretty cool. I, I didn't know about this uh, this news. So they're they're now going away from from Watches and Wonder and and Basel World, and now it's going to be called Our Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, oh, sorry, S I H H was rebranded Watches and oh, Wonders, not S-I-H-H. Basel World. Basel World was still called Basel World. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Um, so with Our Universe, is that going to be like something similar to to a Basel World? It seems like it. Yeah. Um, what I'm gathering is that it's a affiliated show involving the top brands and it's a right now a digital platform component um it seems like it's going to be another another of these trade shows but i think it's going to be aimed more at launches like exchanges and i mean sorry it's not as focused on just product launches and it says that it's more encouraging for networking and interpersonal exchanges than just straight product. It, it seems like to me when when you're telling me this is they want to go away from from the traditional sort of trade show element where it's hey I'm the brand here's my product this is coming down the pipeline place your orders with me. I think they're trying to more they want to engage in more of a community uh, thing with the watch world. So maybe that's their spin on it. I I'm not sure how I feel about not having the Basel world in there. I mean, again, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not too sure if it's a direct replacement or it's a rebrand, but that Basel world, that name itself carries so much weight. And I think when so when you weight. hear about it, it's it's credible. It gets you excited. Again, I know this is new, this our universe thing. But to carry that legacy of having Basel World is going to be tough to beat. I think what will happen is people will end up calling it Basel World. 
you know how it's like it's not the roger center it's the sky dome oh, yeah 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 just like that it's not the cf eden center it's the eden center in the colloquial you know everyday knowledge and everyday speech yeah it's it'll it'll be a, a testament of uh of how old you are and what generation yeah. you or work how, with. or how strong the branding is how strong they're able to separate it from basil world see what's interesting to me is i think prior to basil world 2020 a lot of brands started to drop off and i know one of the biggest ones would have been grand seiko and seiko they they backed out of the the conference and they were going to do another thing in i think exclusively in asia um uh, another trade show but to me that that's very interesting and my parallel to it and this is away from watches this is away from fashion but uh in in music and you know instruments and everything there's something called the nam show and the nam show uh, would always be hosted same year same time in uh, anaheim california same with Basel World, they have the biggest brands. So within music instruments and guitars, the biggest ones are Fender and Gibson. And then one year for the NAMM show is Gibson said, hey, we're not doing this anymore. We're putting our budget somewhere else. So when I saw this happen in the uh, in the watch industry, right, with Basel World and Grand Seiko saying, hey, we're not doing this. We're going to put our money somewhere else. It really for me sparked the question is in 2020 with the millennials starting to be decision makers and we're starting to have the gen z's roll in as more you know junior role or associate role are um trade shows still relevant are they still valid what is their place in 2020 and do we have to re-strategize around or do brands have to re-strategize around not hosting trade shows i think i think trade shows are are valuable to a brand if they have major 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 releases coming out like something completely like out of the blue um not just like say i have x watch and now it's x watch in another material right it that's not so much of a major release as like this is a completely new watch so what would you classify as as a major release? Is a major release like the RM Nadal? Like, is that something you bring to to Basel World? I think so. I think so. Or something like um, I'm thinking of um, like Code Eleven Fifty Nine when it came out. I think that would be that would be what I think is a major release where it's completely different. But what that what that sort of thinking makes difficult with a trade show, a yearly trade show, is that that sort of entices and incentivizes manufacturers to make quote-unquote these major releases every single year and we both know that the watches you know the watch industry doesn't like to really do that they they'd much rather take their time and make something actually novel and new than just make something for the make sake of making it mm-hmm um you bring a good point with code 11 i think just to kind of key in on that watch alone is based on photos i think it's a it's going to be very polarizing and you're and people can look at it and start generalizing it and say it looks like this brand it looks like that brand with the code 11 it's really important that you get something like a trade show um, environment to get hands-on feedback to get your eyes to actually look at the the watch and have the watch in hand as opposed to renderings because i'll be honest with renderings i don't i don't like that watch either but when i see the real photos or the on wrist shots i'm like okay 
it's entirely different because you start to see all the nuances that we love about watches. Yeah. That's the finishing. That's, oh, look at this little accent or look at this little beveling. Like, that is beautiful. And you don't yeah. get that through renderings at all. Absolutely. And for Code 11, one of the biggest things that they that AP pushes and like has spent a lot of time designing is the shape of the crystal. It's it's a it's a dual ellipse and you can't get the effect of that crystal interacting with light in a rendering or a photo. You need like a video or something or a, or hands-on and that, I think that's when a trade show with actual dummy models or functional production models is really valuable for a brand and for people attending who might want to place orders. I agree, and I think it's really important for the editors and and even the tastemakers because imagine if you if you have a, a big you know, publishing company or a big ad company or or you're you are someone that's influential based on the photos you can ma maybe make or break that release, right? Exactly. And as a brand, you want to make sure the tastemakers that are not ambassadors really understand what you're trying to do. And the only way to do that is going to be a trade show. I have a point to make, though. Something like a trade show, to me, I think should slowly, um, we should slowly departure from that. What we should get more into are localized meetups. Something like a red bar, but it's, you know, it's Rolex themed. It's going to be AP themed, right? And I think these more intimate community gatherings um, help the brand and kind of help help uh, help the community of uh, of watch enthusiasts in that area, because a trade show to me is so big. Like you get so overwhelmed, um, and you walk in there, and there could be a vibe. Full disclosure: I've never been to any sort of watch trade show, but I can only imagine through my experiences at other trade shows, it, it's so un overwhelming, right? And how do you kind of lower that? And how do you spread that news uh, in a more I mean, I guess you can spread it globally now with social media, but how do you uh, how do you get more people to get hands on on it? And I think that's the issue because Hodinky can post something or Revolution Watch can post something and you get thousands of people having their opinion, but they've never touched the watch. So how do you mm -hmm. get that timepiece or how do you get those releases to these kind of people? And before they, you know, before they keyboard warrior it they're like hey i actually went to this like they had this event locally i went to it even after my hands-on i still don't like it i think that's more valid rather than looking at press photo and saying hey this fucking sucks like this is ugly this looks like a michael kors watch like i look with anything hobby related but especially with watches you you really can't trust those renderings and we talked about it before with the portuguese um image from yeah Udinky. where you thought the leg was too short you, it's it's tough and uh, that's the only way of course i understand too with the whole pandemic going on it's very very tough to to meet up um physical distance socially distanced um but it's something that i think the watch industry should think more about is localized community engagement events so more people can at least get their hands on before just spewing out their opinion you know what, this, this brings me to think about how some car companies do their um, social media launches. Yeah, so I've, I watch a bunch of uh, British car YouTubers and a lot of them, you'll notice, on the same day will, or same day, like plus minus like 12 hours, so it's like maybe one day, another day, will release the same car at the same time at the same location, right? And they now they're pretty transparent about it and they will say that, okay, um, 
McLaren, uh, I'm going to use a recent example, you know, the McLaren 765 LT. Um, they, they were invited out to Silverstone track and they got to experience the car, you know, and got to drive it around track and have the McLaren experience with it. But they have an embargo on when they're allowed to release, <clears throat> release some um, content about this car. So that gives everyone a, a fair chance to have all this stuff ready, do their production, you know, synthesize their opinion on this car and then release it all at the same time so that not one person, not one YouTuber influencer has an advantage over another for being there first. I think this would translate pretty well into watches because what effectively you could do is instead of having everyone come to Silverstone track or everyone comes to Geneva, everyone comes to Basel, is you could have a dummy model and then ship it around the world. That's not a bad and idea. It, <laughs> and then have an embargo and then say like, okay, on October 31st, 2020 is 12.01 a.m. You're allowed to post your thoughts on this thing. And then because it's like a watch, shipping would be pretty easy. You know, you could always ship it back to your local headquarters, local, um, your local headquarters for sanitation or like checks to make sure it wasn't tampered with. And then you keep it, keep it going forward. I, I, I like that idea. I like that idea a lot. I think it's possible. I don't think people, one major concern with that is what if someone leaks it, but then you're breaking embargo, you're breaking, you know, contract terms. And that would be like, media suicide so i don't think anyone would do it but you never know that would be the risk uh, well I, the funny thing is like when, when you bring up that that point is i think about sneakers is the same thing right factories exactly. still sign something that they're not allowed to leak i know people that they they seed with right they do say don't wear this shoe until this day because we don't want anyone seeing it yet. And then when you breach it, you, maybe you get taken off the list or you get your hand slapped. I don't know. But that approach is, I think it's very smart. Um, and I, I wish we had a bit of a bigger audience where we could make that impact. Because I think in yeah. 2020, is that's how you should do it. Instead of having this one grand week, one grand day, just to feed all this information to people is you're going to plan ahead six-month calendar what do i want to see when do i want this to be launched you do the contract on this day okay all of these people on this list you can now you know do a hands-on review or you can post your initial thoughts and i think microsoft i'm going to now jump to tech microsoft did the same thing recently with their foldable phone where the people that they've seeded it to is hey the first video you're going to do is going to be on initial impressions of the phone don't even turn it on yet. And that's what they said in the contract. Do not turn this phone on yet. Your first video is just about the construction and blah, blah, blah. Your next video, which I, maybe they put like next week, you know, a week after that releases. Now you can talk about what your thoughts are. Right. With actual like software. Yeah, with the actual software, UX, UI, the whole experience. It's something that I think watches being such an old industry. I shouldn't say old, but, you know, such a long history behind it is they really need to start to re-strategize their sales and their marketing techniques. And what you brought up about the dummy watch being put, you know, flown around, right, and then brought back for sanitation, I think is a step in the right direction. I really do. There, there becomes an issue though okay. with uh, 
is you give the brands a lot of control when you have embargoes like that, right? Like Microsoft saying, oh, don't turn it on. And then don't do this, don't do that. Some people might think like consumers and editors might think, oh, I can't have a honest opinion about such and such. But that's like a whole advertising um, like difficulty, especially when, it, when it's product launches. I don't know. Basil World hit me up and we can brainstorm. <laughs> Do you Let's go to sneakers. No, well I want to I want to stay no. on this topic, but I want to Oh, you want to stay on this. Okay, yeah. sneakers next. I want to see really um do dummy co- do dummy watches cost a lot to make? I would think so because you want at least the externals to look and feel identical to your production model. You know, so if you're AP and you're making a dummy Royal Oak, that's 20-something hours of just machining or polishing, right? So that's not cheap. I wonder what the what the true cost is and seeding it. I mean, I guess your strategy from then on has to be you're only going to major cities. Like you're, you're doing like Copenhagen, you're doing Toronto, you're doing New York, you're doing LA, you know, all these things. But then you're, and, and I think now I'm thinking back on it, you're still getting the 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 trolls of the people that live in other areas that don't get access, and they're still going to slam your your release. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of these trade shows, these super major trade shows, anyways, there's very very few private individuals who aren't associated with a company or or a magazine or editorial that attend them, anyways. You know. Joe Schmo from the street, who is a one-time buyer from a brand, most likely isn't coming to a trade show just by virtue of it being not worth it to the brand or to whoever they purchase from. You know, so no matter what, you're going to get the trolls that are going to make have their opinion and which they're entitled to, but have their not fully informed opinion on something and they will just keep doing what they do there's no there is essentially no getting around it there's no getting around it a shame it just it i know it it, it just feels like this hobby itself i and i know you want to get on the sneakers but sneakers i think it's pretty easy if you've owned a dunk before, you kind of know how it's going to fit. You kind of know, you know, the materials. If you own, you know, Jordan 1s, same thing, Jordan 5s, Jordan 7s. But with watches, I feel like it's it changes. Yeah. There's a lot more nuances it's, to there, it. It is more nuanced. And I, I can, maybe my testament is, I remember trying on the Explorer at another AD, and I didn't get that same feeling. Like, the first time I tried it, I, I was like, eh, maybe not. But it's like, when I tried it, in person somewhere else it's like maybe just there's a little nuance to it and that it actually mm-hmm. made me want to pull the plug that day it's uh mm-hmm. and things with like let's say a dunk or like a shoe they have the silhouette and it comes out in that silhouette like different colors different materials but largely the product is the same when you have watch releases even if it's a different material, like I say simply a different material, it's still a lot of work to make that happen. 
But if you have a different material, it changes the weight of the watch. It changes the balance of how it works on your wrist. Like, is it too top heavy? Is it bottom heavy? Is it well balanced? Yeah. It changes everything. Or even if they change a dial color, how they produce that dial might have a sun ray effect. It might have a matte dial, might have a gloss dial. And these little nuances in a watch is a large percentage of the visual impact of the watch in and of itself. With a sneaker release, you could, for a majority of the effects that a material can change, like changing a leather from red to blue or anything else. It's minimal. You could, it's minimal. You could do it in Photoshop and get like a lot of the effect already. But with a watch, there's so much interplay with light and weight and wearability. It's hard to do that. That's a very good point for for those listening that, you know, again, you maybe you don't know too many about watches is I think half the, the experience of a watch is actually having it in good lighting. And then the other half of it is when you get home, because when you, exactly. when you go to an AD, you got like these amazing lights above you and they, you know, they make the whole watch shine in a certain way. And then once you get home, I mean, come on, you, you've got like fluorescence. All right. Let's let's say exactly. It. It's not as great. It doesn't look as great. Yeah, a really good parallel, I think, for people who haven't experienced that before is say like you see a car rendering, right? You're, you see the interior shots of a car. That's totally different from when you actually sit on it, sit in it, and then grab the steering wheel, right? You can see, um, I'm just going to jump preemptively into this, but you see the, B, the new BMW M3, M4s, yeah. right? You see the interiors, you see the exteriors, whatever your opinion on it, but... You look at the interior and it's completely redesigned and you look at the seats and the, the steering wheel and you see like, oh, it's a carbon bucket seat. Yeah, but you don't know how the contours of the carbon bucket seat are going to affect you. You don't know how the steering wheel is going to fit in your hand, right? It, a lot of this is very much tactility that you must experience for you to have a proper opinion on it, which is what I think a lot of watches are and sneakers less so because the tactility of a sneaker is on your feet and it's like, material choices on the exterior that you're not going to feel with your hands or feet anyways. So what I'm getting from, from that statement is, number one, for those wondering, retail is not dead because there has to be a retail for watches. There has to be a retail for um, cars, right? And with shoes, I think it's arguable. But, I mean, that's important. Um, you, I think you, you brought up a good point, again, in finding those parallels, is that with a car, yeah, you look at the renderings, you're like, oh, I don't, look, I don't like how this is, but a lot of the times, I find opinions change once you're at the dealership, once you've sat in it, you're like, oh, this, oh, okay, I don't mind this anymore, this, this makes sense, right? We're too quick to judge nowadays. Exactly. And even renderings with cars, how, how the body lines show in the light or in a rendering. Yeah. It's like until you really see it in real life, it's hard to have an opinion. Uh, going back to release earlier um, these few months with the Submariner, like I don't think if you were to just base it off of renderings that you would get the impact. And from what I hear that people, you know, when they when they picked it up in the 80 is like it actually wears really nice. Like it is amazing the way they've kind of re-engineered the lugs. The, the case is a little bigger and now with the 22 millimeter, Right? They're like, this fits really great for a modern watch. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of tactility with things like this, things you're going to interact with a lot. 
that's the most important thing. It is the most important thing. Yeah. So it's not dead. Uh, I wanna we, we we let's let's move on to to the sneakers now. One of the, one of the releases I want to talk about, and uh, for those that know me, I'm a huge ALD fan for obvious reasons. Uh, for those that don't know, ALD is a is a short term acronym, short form acronym for Emilion Dor. This is a streetwear brand out of New York, um, and it's uh, it was founded by Teddy Santes, that's the creative director. The, they've been doing amazing things since uh, 2017. That's that's been my favorite season with them, uh, and they've they've been collaborating with New Balance for the past few seasons on the 992s, on the uh, 990 V5s, and now they're actually they are actually resurrecting an old uh, model from the New Balance catalog called the 550s. Now with this, it, there's a whole campaign around it. It's a very wonderful story. Uh, Sony New York is a uh, is a basketball team um, in the New York area, and ALD, Sony, and New Balance 550s. The campaign has been really amazing to see the shoes. Uh, so sorry, let me jump into that. So there there are um, a huge range of shoes that are launching with this collaboration, um, which is the 550. Comes in red, gray, black, green, and I'm wondering if there's anything else. And sorry if I've missed it. Uh, but it's, um, it's a very retro looking shoe. Um, I'm going to ask you Darius before I go off on a tangent is one, number one, have you seen the shoe? Number two, how do you feel about it? I'm about to go see this shoe right now on, on, uh, on online, but I think from what I know of ALD new balances, I think they're going to be good. And I, I've seen people on Instagram saying like, Oh, did you, were you lucky getting it? Were you not lucky getting it? So clearly there is a there's a demographic who really wants it yeah i, I would say- and there's a demographic who really really like they love the shoe and i'm still trying to find photos and they're not coming <laughs> up <laughs> well i think um the design language of ald is very nautica 90s nautica it is tommy hilfiger it is polo ralph loren um, it draws a lot of these inspirations as well. It, it draws from the inspirations of the New York streets, um, the grittiness, the grime, uh, and all of that element. Not grime in terms of the music, um, but there is that sort of feeling and emotion about that brand, and that's what they've done really well. With the cl- oh, I'm looking at it now. With the collaboration with New Balance, what's really amazing is to see that their you know, design language fits in kind of where New Balance um, has like their New Balance marketing imagery in the past and now moving forward. And that's why I said this previously is looking back to move forward. And I think that's exactly what um, ALD is doing. And that's exactly what a lot of the New Balance collaborations are doing. Minus the, um, not Willow Smith, Jaden Smith, New Balances. Those are very contemporary. Those are very avant-garde. Yeah. This was the 550 that just came out, right? Yeah. I think that looks, looks that looks really good. <laughs> that looks very that looks very ALD and looks it fits their brand and imagery incredibly well. I think this is such a good collaboration long term, New Balance and ALD. Um, yeah, I think it does really really well every single time, and they knock it out of the park. Would you wear it? I wouldn't wear it. <laughs> Why wouldn't you wear it? Just not my look. Um, I'm not the ALD look. Like, I don't have, I don't wear things that are very, like, retro-inspired or very retro sportswear-inspired besides, like, throwing on a hoodie, right? 
throwing on a sportswear hoodie. I'm not that look, but I can see where it's going and I see people who wear it. I think it looks good, just not me. Yeah, it's not your cup of tea. Exactly. Here's my thing about the shoe. I think if I were... It's crazy to think of fifteen year old, but if uh, if I were fifteen or sixteen, I'd be all over the shoe. Would you wear it? I think if I was fifteen and sixteen, I would wear it. But I think would you wear it now? Nowadays, I actually wouldn't wear it. There's something about the the way the the shoe looks that I'm like, hey, this would be great if you were younger. I'm not saying older gentlemen can't wear it. You can wear whatever the hell you want. It's just for me and myself, I can't see my. I can't see myself wearing a basketball shoe or a trainer or a runner that looks like that nowadays. And it's very era-specific. Like, I look at it, and I think late 80s, early 90s. And that's the Yes. Look. And it's like... But it's also, like, part of their marketing material. Exactly. Like, I see people in their marketing material. <laughs> and it's, like, five-inch uh, five inseam shorts or even shorter than that. Like, that's what I think of. That's the emotion I get. So I think in terms of the story, really great. In terms of the, the product re- launch and the release too, amazing. It's going to sell out. It's going to be coveted. Se- uh, secondary market's going to blow up. However, similar to yourself, it's not for me. Even though I love the, yeah. the aesthetic and, and everything, this shoe is not for me. It looks great. It, not Would not see it on my foot. I think what ALD is really good at is color. They really nailed yes. down color. They nailed down color and the consistency in how they present it. Like you can take ALD from 2017 and take and wear it with 2020 and it's very consistent and it wouldn't look weird. I agree. It's hats off to Teddy Santas for that. So in addition to that um, collaboration, there's also been another killer collaboration. I love it. I, oh, would, this, I would actually... This is all cl- killer collaborations this this week that we're going to be talking about. Yeah. I, okay. I really like this when I saw the, the images uh, leak on IG. I got really excited, uh, and that is the off-white Nike MoMA Air Force Ones. Darius, give me your thoughts. Gray market resell gang. <laughs> that, that's essentially what I get from MoMA, MoMA off-white Air Forces because they go for insane amounts. And I think, wait, I think the Air Force One off-whites are good. I don't think they're fantastic. I think... The originals, when they're worn down, look the best. Just because I think that's the coolest iteration of the off-white Nikes. The first edition, where it's all translucent, mm-hmm. and it yellows down, and it looks like prototypes. Yeah. This new one... The thing they came out with an off-white Air Force already. in black. Already. I know you love it. Does this well, Does it feel like they're just trying to trying to capitalize on the wave before it ends and trying to make as much money as possible? I think so. That's what it feels like to me. Okay, let me say this. Edward's making a face. Yeah, I, lo- I think I love it because of all the accounts I follow on IG. I will say this, I'm not a huge Off-White fan. I'm a huge Virgil Abloh fan in terms of his thought process and everything, but in terms of the brand Off-White, I'm not a huge Off-White fan. But I think what intrigued me a lot with the release is with MoMA and with the whole wave of like people wearing these MoMA crewnecks and like, you know, it just brings you back. And I, I think it's really great and it connects a good story in terms of MoMA, New York, Air Force One. But 
It's a good story. I will say this again. You're right. There's also there's already another you know off white Air Force. Do you really need another in black? One? In black. In black. Right. And it, it kind of makes you think. Where does this the shoe fit in? Uh, I do agree as well. The first uh, off whites with the translucent, amazing. Those are great shoes. I also really like the uh, blazers too when they came out. Oh, the blazers! The, amazing. Blazers the thing, really okay. Nice. This Air Force, what makes it MoMA? Nothing really stands out about MoMA. It's just kind of in the uh, product title, <laughs> and it gets you exactly high. like what makes it MoMA. I I I couldn't answer you from my initial yeah. release. Which which makes it like, are you sticking on the MoMA just because your first edition from the MoMAs did really well and you know it's going to sell out even more so, and you're trying to gain you know brand value and more cool currency because you get another moma shoe that achieves like legendary or mythical resale status Darius, i'm, I'm gonna admit to you for this shoe that uh, i like because of the hype this is purely okay hype. that's fine that's yeah. fine this is the preemptive drive scott effect yes because uh, you know he's gonna wear it yeah i yeah i'm gonna be honest with you i like this shoe because of the hype Hundred percent. It's fine as long as you can admit it and you're okay with it. That's fine. And I hope I just I lo- the thing is I like the shoe. I I given opportunity I would buy it. Well, I'm not gonna get it. <laughs> I know, same. So <laughs> we don't we don't have that kind of cash flow. But it's crazy to see you know such a fi- such a big figure in fashion and in pop culture and continue this wave um, of the off whites like the whole off white Nike thing. Um, and then you kind of have another side of, of this tale too, where sometimes you get you maybe some odd releases, right? And I, I saw an odd release too, uh, and you saw an odd release too, and it's with one of the most polarizing footwear um, brands out there. Some love it, some hate it. You can get a nasty ass tan if you wore these uh, in a hot summer's uh, summer's month. I would say up in the cottage. What brand am I talking about right now, Darius? We're talking about Crocs. Mm. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Crocs. Oh, that is Dad Shoe Dad Barbecue 101. But it's also comfortable. Oh, do you own a pair? I don't own a pair. I don't own a pair. I don't own a pair either. I've never tried one on. I've tried one on. They're nice, comfortable. Justin Bieber's collaborating with them. Oh, apparently. Justin Bieber's. That yo, I think Justin Bieber is around our age. Correct me if I'm wrong. He is. He is. And the thing is, here's the funny thing about the, th- the collab. He didn't even say anything. He just posted a picture with it and wasn't like, oh, in the works. Like, none of that. Like, Justin Bieber apparently doesn't do that. Really? So, so he just puts it out there. He just put it out there. And what's amazing is that reports say from that day, Croc stocks jumped 11%. Oh, my gosh. So if you own Croc stocks, you're good. Good job. Yeah, but uh, that's, I don't think that wave's going to stay there for very long. <laughs> yeah, I think that's just, it's just, uh, I don't think it's going to like be a sellout thing or anything like that. It's, uh, it's like yellow, I just think right? it's funny. It's like a yellow warm tone croc. Yeah, I think it's funny, but uh, uh, is it? Not for me, obviously not for me, but I think it's cool. Well, to me, well for, uh, okay, let me try to look at this objectively. I think it's interesting that you're releasing a very summer-themed shoe in the middle of fall. I think this also plays into, like, if you're wearing Crocs, you don't care. Oh, well, 
think he got it. And Justin Bieber, hey, I don't, I don't blame you for not caring. You've done he so much in your career, yeah. He's gone from Justin Bieber to, like, the stash. Yeah, that was cool. I like that. I like that era of Justin Bieber. I'm not going to lie. He's still, it's, we're still in that oh, era of Justin Bieber. Era. Yeah. And I think Crocs have that attitude, especially with, like, the latest collaboration that I can think of, the Balenciaga one. <laughs> so, like, you know, it's funny. Eric Edward laughs at it. And I think people even laugh at the Justin Bieber, too. And I think it's it's cool. It's just cool because it just doesn't take itself seriously at all. I like that. You, you're you right. I mean, that's that's like my attitude, too. I don't take myself too seriously. Never, never trust what I really say, guys. I don't, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just, I'm just this is all verbal diarrhea, but... It's all verbal diarrhea, but you still like the off-white dunk, off-white uh, Air Forces. So that 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 wasn't a lie. That was that was truth. Yeah, that was that was pure truth. And and you know, I will admit, it's all hype. That is why I like it. It's hype as AF, and I love that shit. And that's why I like the ambush Nike dunks that are coming out. Ooh, apparently. I am so excited for those too. My my hands just went oh. up in the air. I want those just because they're black and white dunks, and they have an ambush name on it. I remember, and I follow um, Yoon Ambush uh, on IG, is she posted like this, this illustrator file once of just like a, like a technical drawing. And she was colored. Oh, dunk. Yeah, but I didn't know it was a dunk. To me, I thought it was like an Air Force One. I mean, not Air Force One, uh, a Jordan One, right? And I just kind of scrolled past it. I'm like, ah, whatever. You know, I don't need another Jordan One in my face. But then I saw that image of her wearing it. I'm like, oh, shit. Like, that... Is a dunk, and I mean it makes perfect sense. Um, I like Ambush as a brand as well. Ambush, the whole Nike thing—they've done like a clothing piece, they've done shoes, um, really polarizing shoes as well. Um, definitely a certain aesthetic, and I think she's also team. She also recently did um, handbags for um, I can't pronounce that brand. Bulvargi, what what is it? Bulgari. Bulgari. Thank you. Say it again. I I, I didn't get it. Bulgari. The V is just a stylized U. Bulgari. Okay. Wow. I did not know that. So she recently just, just, just did a collaboration with them on handbags. So I think it I think it's perfect. She's doing amazing. She is the jewelry designer for Dior, was it? Yeah, she's Dior. Yeah. And her stuff is amazing. I love her journey. I love what she kind of put, puts out there, her energy in the world. It's amazing. But back to the shoe. I want a pair. I want a pair so badly. Do you think you're going to get a pair? You're going to try for raffles? No. no? I'm going to try for raffles. I don't think I'll get it, though. I, I, think, um, I think within the community, it's going to be that if you know, you know. Because it's not an off-white caliber. It's not, you know, anything of, of that realm, like a major thing. But with Ambush, in my opinion, is if you know, you know. It is if you know, you know. And apparently there's going to be men sizing. It looks like it has a little bit of a platform. Um, hey, I'd, get me to six feet. I'd be happy to do that. Okay, I'm not at six feet. I'm looking at the technical drawings right now, and what do you think of the construction of like how it extends out? Like, how do you think they're gonna do that? Okay, let me see. Let me see this. Uh, I'm gonna because they have that panel that goes from the the bottom of the heel all the way up to the collar is extended where the heel is. And it come juts out. I think that's a that's like a heat transfer. Yeah, 
that might fall out. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna lie. Coming from the background of textiles and the manufacturing, uh, yeah, I'm pretty. I mean, if I don't think it makes sense to stitch that on. It's probably just heat transferred onto the panel, and then afterwards they just constructed. But yeah, oh, the black and white one looks so good. It looks so good. The tips of the swoosh are gonna are gonna. Yeah, they're gonna bend. They're gonna lose shape, but whatever. I like it. I think it's cool. Ten out of ten, I like. You know what else I like about um, ambush? I really like the jewelry. Really? Yeah. You like the, uh, the, um, the, the the zip ties, the lighters. Yeah, the the lighter holder. I love that. And 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 I don't know if I would ever actually wear it, nor do I smoke cigarettes. Um, you know. But it's just the the look of it. I think it it's really cool. It's it's functional. She kind of takes everyday um, items, and just kind of like makes it really luxurious. And I've enjoyed that about her work. Now they have a they have a cigarette holder one. They have a hard tag one. I think it's cool. Oh yeah. I think it's cool. See, it even like, <laughs> look, I'm I'm a victim of it too. You could say it is a bit of the hype once it's the you know you know. But even with like the off white stuff, I've seen off white like a little. Like a like a padlock necklace. I'm just like, yeah. oh, that looks so good. <laughs> the paperclip paper chain. Clip, oh, yeah. paperclip. So yeah. good. Wow, revolutionary. You are you are such a genius. Yeah, but you did not do that in elementary school. <laughs> but with the lighter holder, there's there's something about that aesthetic that looks pretty cool. And I think if you do smoke, whether it's tobacco or whether it's cannabis, it's a it's a neat little flex that you could have among your friends. You pull out your big lighter from your. $400 lighter necklace. You know what I put in there? I would put my ALD big lighters in that. And that's a stunt. <laughs> As a, there you go. That's a low-key stunt. Hey, Darius, you're, you're starting to get the, the, the stunter out of me. I've been so humble. Yeah, we're getting that stunter out of here. We're going to put the ALD lighter in the ambush with and put the ambush lighter necklace holder on a chrome hearts chain oh damn and then there we go done yeah and i'm gonna wear some some off-white pieces right head to toe and i'll have the ambush dunks as well on me yeah one foot one foot off-white air force one foot ambush dunk Oof, the mis mismatch that's a hype thing too a lot of people don't know this mismatch i mismatch sneakers are um they're, they're coming back i remember as a kid people doing that by accident people did that with converse too yeah with converse i remember people that people did it with converse Speaking of Converse. I've seen people do, oh, speaking of Converse, Offsprings. Offsprings. So for, for those that don't, don't know, Offsprings is a uh, 90s punk band. I forgot where they're based out of. How I know them is I used to, I don't know if you used to play this console. Uh, I'm not a huge gamer, by the way, but I used to play Dreamcast. And I used to play. Well, I did not have a Dreamcast. <laughs> I had a PlayStation 1. So pre-PlayStation 1, uh, I used to play a Sega Dreamcast. Uh, for those listening, go Google that. Um, and there was a game in there called Crazy Taxi. And uh, Offsprings actually um, licensed their music to be, or at least they asked Offsprings if they could use their music in that, so in that game. And that whole album is uh, ingrained into my soul. So I've been a long time. Of playing Crazy Taxi. Yeah, that 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 shit was fun back then. The, the graphics and and everything, but yeah, it's a Offspring's um, Converse collaboration on the Chuck Seventies. Before we dive into the aesthetics, have you worn any of the Chuck Seventies? Have you worn Chucks um, lately? I used to wear Chucks all the time. I got the Converse Chuck Two when it came out with that lunar Whoa. lawn insole. 
those were so good. Damn. <laughs> Such a good shoe. Um, but I haven't worn 70s. You haven't worn the 70s. Have you worn the uh, Comme des Garçons stuff? No, I didn't have a fashion heart on my Converse. <laughs> so funny with, uh, I mean, growing up, um, I also grew up with Converse. But Converse I grew up with was every summer you go down to the States and you get to pick one shoe. And it was always Converse. And I and it was up. always at the Buffalo. It was. It was always at Buffalo that you bought it. I, yeah, it Buffalo exactly. I bought the black Converse high top from Famous Footwear Outlet, right? And back in the days, I think it was like twenty three bucks or something like that. Something really stupid and and low in price. And I beat those guys up. And so I have a I have a pretty big connection to Converse. And seeing these two kind of things happen, I ten on ten, I'm gonna try to cop the shoe. I just want you. Want oh. you know. It's so good. I I did. Remember when Converse did a Marcella collaboration? Whoa, that was a few years back. How three? It was like twenty fourteen. Oh, okay, yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. But I didn't get those. But I did. I did get a bottle of paint primer, and a heat gun. Oh. And I made them. Damn. So those took a really long time for sure to do. Because I did the laces too, so I would wow. I did a lace a layer of primer over the lace, and then I learned through making mistakes that if you let the primer soak into the laces and then try to try to no not try to heat it and let it dry, you can't use those laces anymore because yeah, they're stiff now at that point. Because they're stiff now. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone ever wanted to try that, make sure you put on a layer of primer on your laces. Heat gun it right away so it dries, so it doesn't soak in and go stiff. See, just speaking uh, objectively on Converse's, I think it's it's such a shoe, at least Chuck's, sorry, let me say, the Chuck Taylor shoe, you can have so much fun with it. It was it started as a basketball shoe, crazy enough, for those listening that didn't know, um, and it's just become a lifestyle shoe, and I loved that you could do whatever the f- frick you wanted with it you could draw on them you could you know you know scratch them up you could do whatever and i think that's just a shoe where you can have fun you can you know use a primer and a heat gun on it it's a shoe that just evokes yeah, creation and i love the offspring ones so because they look like bandanas i think they're cool the offspring ones for those have, that ha- haven't seen it is basically the the shoes constructed of a, multiple panels with a bandana design and that looks great. For the past, I'd say two years, that bandana design has been really, really out there um, in pop culture. Most notable one I can think of is when Drake's crew started to wear Capital, and I'm just like, what? Yes. The? Like, I, like you guys are getting into Capital? Shit. Well, at this point, I guess I'm never going to afford anything from them. No more Capital for me. <laughs> yeah, but it's exactly no more. My Capital was supposed to go to Capital, but um. Yeah, that bandana design has been really prominent. And to see this, um, I hope people don't hop on it and make it sell out because I genuinely like this for the brand, the shoe, and the band. No, people are going to hop on it and that's going to fly off the shelves. Darius, what what are your tips for me? Do I I start to go botting? Is that what I got? No, you just go. I think for Converse, you should just go. And if you really want it and it sells out and you're unfortunate... Just pay the resale. I mean, it's a Converse resale. It's not like a million bajillion dollars. But some of the Converse stuff, like, have you seen the Fear of God Converse? I have. Oh, those ones, there's a pretty high resale, man. 
Yeah, but I don't think these will get to the fear of God level. They don't have that brand gravitas that gravitas that fear of God has. Okay, you're right. You're right. But this shoe, I think, comes in two colorways, right? One is more pastel. One is more of the primary colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. if I remember correctly, I'll get the past. I would get the pastel ones if I was going for them. <laughs> I'm get both. You're gonna get both. Yeah, I actually, you're gonna I actually want to get both. Like you're, I'm trying. Look, I'm trying not to spend Darius, but every week when we talk, I leave it. I leave the conversation. I'm like, I want to spend. I want to get something. Yeah, I don't know if you have. You're gonna theory. get both. No, I don't because I am self control. To a certain extent, but um, you're gonna mismatch it left foot primary right foot pastels. Yeah, and just change it every day. <laughs> going back sorry uh, look if, if we wrap up the converse uh offspring collab 10 and 10 i would buy um and all you people that use bots please don't use it because i actually want to wear these shoes and beat the shit out of them how about you no one no one bought those don't bought don't i think the only thing that i would want to buy out of everything we talked about is nike dunks from ambush but also, I just want black and white dunks or Jordan 1s. I'm going to move on now. And I want to talk about what I just said, which is spending. Um, we talked about our top five watches. Remember on that episode of the podcast? Yep. yep. Ah, yep. And then afterwards, I was trying to think. Long-term goals. What is my current long-term goal? And what do I want to get? Um, definitely not going to get... What do you want to get? What is the long-term goal? Not going to get the Steve McQueen. But I want to get... I'm, I'm down to two watches. I want to get your opinion on these. Completely different price bracket, too. Uh, Rolex Explorer 2. The modern version before the Maxi Lux came in. I forgot the reference number. 16-something. Uh-huh. 50, 70? I don't know. What are those? Uh-huh. So I'm between that or I'm going to save up, you know, another, you know, five years, maybe... Um, and then get that the Rolex Rolex GMT Master to I think it's at the sixteen seventy sixteen seven fifty vintage vintage references. So basically two GMTs on my radar, sir. I think I think go GMTs either one, just go GMTs. Go GMTs either one. I know. Okay, let me let me let me tell you the story about why I want the GMT Master, and I would get it as a black bezel with the black dial and red GMT hand. So uh, when I just got out of university, I was really I was intrigued with watches, but never really in vintage references. Funny enough, but one of the jobs I had post graduation was at Starbucks. I'd be at Starbucks and whatever shift supervisor. And there would always be this gentleman, and he was probably in his early 60s. He would come in. And at that point, I knew about watches. I just didn't know about too much. So one day, I was handing off the drink to him. I was like, hey, by the way, I really like your um, Rolex Explorer GMT. He's like, thanks. It's actually, And he showed it to me. I looked at it, and it was just like a grail. I looked at it, like, I need that watch. You're like, you need it. Yes, and that was the first time, and I couldn't get that watch out of my head. Second time I saw it was when um, American designer Todd Snyder came by my workplace, and uh, he is actually the one that converted me into NATO straps. So he came in wearing the same watch, same vintage GMT Master 2, 
black um, GMT bezel with a black dial red uh, GMT hand and he wore it on a NATO. I'm like, I really love the way you're styling your GMT Master too. That's what I said to him. And then we went off on a little conversation and then he, con he convinced me that number one, you should uh, wear your things on a NATO strap. And number two is you should really get that watch. The only reason why I'm- So you should get that watch. The only reason I'm thinking about the Explorer 2 pre-maxi lug is I feel like it's more attainable. Yeah, but you don't have a grail or a goal because it's more attainable than the other one. Look, it's almost in the 30s. <laughs> that vintage... But you don't... The thing is here, you don't have... Um, you have attainable goals and unattainable goals. You know? You know, like, unattainable goal that... RM Chrono Diver. Yeah, that's probably not happening. But like, when you have an attainable goal, and you have two of them, I think the first one where like, you like it, but the only reason you're considering is because it's more attainable than the other one. That's not, that's not the actual goal. I just put my head down. Because uh, he uh, he's right. Because I'm absolutely correct. It's like the substitute. Like, you're just settling. You're like, I want a GMT. I want it to be Rolex. Okay, GM uh, I'll get the Explorer 2. If you're going to get an Explorer 2, you're getting the Steve McQueen one. Oh. Because <laughs> those are these are the same price points, They right? are. If Steve McQueen and... In vintages, they're about the same. Yeah. So if you're considering the GMT at this price point, and you're like, oh, I don't want to get the... Steve McQueen because it's at, at this price point. And it's the same price point. You know? Yeah. This is this is why he does what he does. This is why he is uh he deals with watches. He knows. I just, I just know. I mean I think I think it's because like ultimately you will be more happy getting the thing that you really wanted than settling on something just because that it's at a different price point. I can I think I can confidently tell you, and I I've said this before, is GMT is one of the best complications ever built. And I think if I ever landed that GMT Master 2, I think I would sell everything in my collection. I really, really? think I'm going to die with that watch on my wrist. I don't know. I think you shouldn't sell everything. Really? I think you should sell all the things that you don't wear. For sure. I I agree. <laughs> Because you're gonna sell, you're gonna sell your Black Bay, and then you're gonna sell your Explorer One, yeah. and you're gonna regret it. Am I? Because you're gonna be like, yeah, I'm gonna tell you why you're gonna regret it. You're gonna have your vintage GMT on, and then someone's gonna go, oh, let's go swimming. Fuck. <laughs> and you're like, man, I really wish I had my Black Bay off right now. <laughs> Damn. Damn, you're right. Or someone's going to be like, you're going to have only your GMT. And then you get, someone's going to be like, oh, let's go on a beach vacation. Let's go on a beach trip. Well done. Oh, shit. Tropical dial time. Kidding. Yeah, it's like, yikes. <laughs> okay, you're right. Can't, see, this is a good conversation to have, to prep. See, that's always right. Long-term goal. Go with what you want. Don't sell everything. <laughs> Don't sell everything. Sell the things you don't wear. Sell the things you don't wear. Could you, could you, do you think that 
that applies to the people that are into sneakers and that listen to this? Yes. Unless it's things that you know are going ballooning up. Because I know some people who bought, who had and bought Red Octobers and like they held on to them and everything. And they went up to like 5Gs. Sold them. Um, great profit. But then now they're at 10. They dipped down to 3, now they're back at 10. I think stuff like that where it's like, where it is objectively unique and like important of a shoe like culturally important quote-unquote culturally important hold on to those but if it's something like say an ald new balance that comes out every year while a great shoe is not going to be culturally as impactful as say the off-white moma so if you don't wear either of those and you have both of them don't sell the off-white moma sell the ald could you could you maybe put that same that same thinking into Submariners? I think you can put the same thinking on Or a different watch. I think I think like it really, really depends on what it is. Say say you're the guy, right, who has multiple submariners or like multiple of the same watch. And it's a modern watch where it's still in production. I think the, the most idea the idea that I'm going to get at is still in production. I think this will apply with many, many things. If the thing that you have is still in production and you are going to get rid of that thing and sell it to finance something else or a further goal, I think that's fine because if you ever wanted that thing again, you can just go, you just go purchase it, you know? Where for the vintage that you're looking at, if you ever wanted a, another goal and you want to finance that goal by selling their vintage, it's going to be incredibly difficult to find another vintage. When this becomes a problem is when like, like say my Submariner probably wouldn't sell it because it's my first. Yeah. You know, real. so it's like real, it, real, like it's very, it, it becomes very difficult conversation to have because ideally you don't want to sell anything ah, that you have a strong connection with but if there's there's always life um life situations where you have to and well i in my opinion i think it's better to sell off something that is more easily replaceable like a modern production because cause I think with modern production, you know that, hey, it's only been on the market for about like 10 years. I can still find some pretty good condition. No one's going to really beat the living shit out of it. Or like, you know, the bezel's not going to be that faded compared to something from the 80s. Exactly. Whereas what I'm looking at, I, I actually think my reference is mid earlier mid-90s. Um, it's still very rare to get that dial variant and to get the same lug shape and everything. And my goal and why it's it's kind of so high, I haven't even told you this, is I'm looking for boxes and papers as well. Oh. I was watching another another talk show. Um, it's called Roman Scharf. And he, he, he works and he owns um, Luxury Bazaar, I believe. And he was explaining to the, to the audience why why Rolex or vintage, I think I should say vintage in general, um, becomes very, very expensive. 
So say we have a brand, right? It doesn't really matter which one it is. And you were looking for a vintage. Each year they make, for example, I'm making, using made up numbers, they make 100,000 watches each year. Say you're looking for a birth year watch. Now from the total total production they ever made, you're shrinking it down to you know, that 100,000. Okay, now you're looking for one that is complete. Okay, now you shrink down to like nothing. Now you're looking for one that's complete and in good condition. Even slimmer. Even slimmer. That's why in general vintages go, when you're very specific about it, get to very, very high price points. This is for listeners who don't understand, you know, it's an old thing. Why is it so so expensive? Why why is it over so valued? Because of specifics. Yeah. Well, I, and I'm why I like a, this hobby is because you can get so specific, right? Like I can literally say, yes, here's the watch alone, or maybe I want the watch with papers, and then it's the watch. No, I want it with a box and paper. No, I want it in semi good condition. No, I want it. It's like, has it been redialed? Has it been, you know, uh, polished? All of this kind of stuff, and it will drive it up. My initial goal. I don't know if this is going to happen. My goal is to find the the primary owner. Oh, and find it from by the primary owner. And buy it from the primary owner. Look, I don't know Oof. if it's going to happen. You know, I know that it's very unrealistic, but that is my goal. And uh, I want to know, because I've seen a lot of these on Chrono24, and they've all been, like, polished the shit out of, and you can see the spring bar, you know, stand out of the uh, the, the drill um, lug holes, and I, I don't want that. Yeah, because then that's going to be, like, destroyed, and you, you don't feel safe wearing I it. I don't, I don't, I don't. Do you know if, uh, I've, I've never sent my watch in for a service, but do you know if, if Rolex or these brands, if they take in vintages... Like, do they ever just, like, destroy the shit of it and take the life out of it? Take the charm I was reading it. a, I was reading a story um, about Patek, and someone wanted to, to send in a pocket watch in. And Patek gave them a response where they said, essentially, we need to change everything and you'll have a mandatory overhaul when in fact he just wanted like i don't know the mainspring to be replaced i don't know something like that like he only wanted a mainspring or something, something very sim- minor yeah, something uh, simple just if you can get it done for me right exactly but they 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 said that they must have a um a major rehaul because they want to protect essentially protect their brand that's that's where a lot of the um like the fear of sending in a vintage or a used watch and they're going to replace something. Um, no matter the brand, it's, it's, you have to think of it as a brand, right? Say, say you take in this, this pocket watch and you only do the mainspring. And then the person go, come, goes online after and says, oh, I sent this into Patek and they didn't even like polish it or whatever. No, it, it looks bad on the brand and they don't want that. Wow. Okay. Hey, I want to ask you, do you have any long-term goals? What's your, what's the next purchase you're, you'd be thinking of? Long-term watch goals? Yeah. 
I want a GMT Master Two Modern <laughs> Pepsi. Modern That's Pepsi. all I want. And do you think you're good? Yeah. Like three watches, like those three, and then you're good. Yeah, I think the why I want it is because one, it looks great. Two, it's a great watch to own. Three, it completes my trifecta of sea, land, and air. Oh damn, damn. Right, because I would have at that point, I would have as daily wears. I would have the Submariner yeah. eleven forty sixty C um, for C. I would have my AP Chrono for land, yeah. and I'll have my GMT Master Two for air. That uh, that is very admirable. That you look at your collection that way. Right, and these would be like the ultimate um, wearable watches and like daily wears. Now I've thought about what if I didn't have GMT Master Two as like my air, like what would I replace the air? air um category with i can't really think of anything not an iwc no because it's not a because G- iwc pilot yeah it's a pilot's watch but it's not meant for like traveling through the air travel time right but i think travel time i think travel time is much more dress watch-esque than anything than utility than okay it still evokes fun when I when I look at it. If if I take right? out the the brand out of it, it's it's fun. It's a fun watch. Yeah, I think it's a great watch. And Tiffany stamp. What is the? No, <laughs> I'm I'm not made of money. <laughs> so realistic. But okay, not... realistically, I think the I think either um, BLNR BLRO, it doesn't really matter to me. I would prefer a BLRO just because I like that it has like the blue and red and i always think of the questions like okay who makes the most iconic gmt complication watch? rolex yeah rolex for sure you know arguably you could say that they also make the most iconic chronograph but i just happen to have the ap already yeah uh my thing with with the with the daytonas is if i get one again vintage guy i want to get the pre Paul Newman's or the Paul Newman Daytonas? Yeah. I would want something like if I was going vintage, I'd want a Zenith. Oh, um, stainless we haven't, steel. We have to talk about Zenith because there's a lot of legacy in there. Maybe not in this one, but yeah, Zenith for, for those um, listening, just check out the El Primero. Look at all the variants that it's come out with. One year they came out with um, the Land Rover um, collaboration. I love that watch. Zenith does a lot. They did. They did a one one hundredth of a second chronograph. I think I've seen it. Go. Yeah, yeah. It's insane. It's super fast. But yeah, going back to why, like, I would just want to complete the sea, land, and air. That's why I would want GMT. Uh, take it from this guy, man. If you're looking to build a collection, um, doesn't matter the price point. I think if you cover all of those things, uh, you are, you're good. I think you're. you're you would be very fulfilled. I think I think as a collector, having a collection, having a purpose and knowing why you want it is more important than what it actually is. Right? Like, it would be super easy for me to say, and like disingenuous of me to say, like, I want the GMT Master 2 Pepsi because it's a one, a Rolex, and two, because the numbers are ridiculous on it. It's like true. 
but that's not like truly the reason. I mean, if I wanted to say that, I can say the same about my AP and my Submariner as well. But I don't say that. I say it because Submariner is Submariner and I got a no date because it's Submariner and tradition. And the AP is AP and it's like, I went to the factory and had that whole experience and that's why I connect with the brand so so greatly and strongly. The GMT is the same reason. It's It represents travel for a lot of people and, rep- and it's like the most iconic of that, of like the GMT co- complication. Yeah. Is that why that one time where you messaged me you were looking at the Tudor Pepsi? Yeah. I was looking at Tudor Pepsi before. I tried it on. I was offered it. Um, it doesn't evoke the same reaction to me because I feel like while Tudor is, you know, affiliated with Rolex, I feel like on wrist, the Tudor didn't do it for me. It was a bit too thick. Um, I prefer a ceramic bezel. And I prefer how it wears, like how a GMT wears. Yeah. There's something about that oyster case, that brace. Oh, the, the bracelet would be the Jubilee, right? In that, in that it case. It would be on a Jubilee. Uh, uh, side note, that is a fucking look. That is amazing. When they came up with that and everyone that owned, you know, the o- normal oyster bracelet, they're just like, this looks weird. And then they eventually loved it. Like it grew on yeah. you within minutes that no yeah, it was GMT great. looks great on a jubilee um yeah. here's my one gripe about the the modern pepsi uh i'm not a huge fan of the the blue and red tone that they used and i know they spend a lot of time trying to engineer the color and get it right and even get that like you know at the halfway mark right just to get it to set properly and everything but my eye draws to that to that blue and to that red from the older references that's my only mm, gripe. The, uh, I think, but I know the technology is a lot better. That's where it's a lot better. That is where I'm. It's oh, a lot better. Touch the mic. But that is where I'm like conflicted, because I love the look of vintage, but I love the techno technological advancements of a modern timepiece. That's why I have likened Rolex to Porsche, a lot, a lot of times, and I still think it it holds true where they make gradual advancements, and they don't really mind if say they're purists who will always always there'll just be someone who says oh the older is better that's sort of not the point um no brand or at least i don't believe rolex makes something and thinks oh what are people going to think about this when it's a vintage they just want to make the greatest product they have that they're capable of making like this is the best contemporary gmt like this year our goal is to make the best contemporary chronograph like that approach exactly rather than saying like oh we're gonna hold something back for you know 2022 or whatever that's never been their their way i don't think see i think i i will agree with with that point is because if you look at the yacht master 2 what are they withholding? They withhold nothing. They've given yeah. everything to you in that watch. Exactly. They've done their... It is as a utilitarian regatta timer. It's like the most legible thing ever. Um, and like I've played with other regatta timers and other yachting watches. Um, they are not as easy to use. Which like... You could make the argument... Um, 
who actually uses it to time a regatta. But the point isn't like, are you going to use it as an end user? It's capable of doing it. And its intent as a model and as, as a watch is to be used like that. And it fulfills that purpose incredibly well. Same parallel with your, with your dive watch. Your dive exactly. time bezel. You know how it, for those things, diving, those dive computers are so advanced nowadays. It, wearing a watch down there and having that kind of keep you alive is almost, you know, very, um, very elementary. But it's yeah. not that I'm going to take this down and do it. It's like, if that time comes and something's wrong with the computer, I can still rely on this guy. So I'm just going to send exactly. both. Right. Or if you're ever in a bind and you need something that can withhold the amount of water and, and the water pressure and you need it timed, then you have a tool to do that. Exactly. And that's why the Rolex brand has been so strong. It's because they don't really, I don't think they ever sit in a board meeting and think, what can we do to make 2022 sales greater? I think they, they sit down and say, what can we do to make um, for example, date just better, or what can we do to make Daytona better as a product, not just saying, what can we do to make sales go up? Um, because as like a long-term company and, and like a heritage company at this point, you don't want to just look at year over year sales. You're thinking about long term. You're thinking about legacy. What am I really, as a brand, putting out the most advanced and most contemporary watch that we can? Exactly, and the best product that you can. You you never want to just be like year over year. Yeah, and I think that's why it was a smart move for Rolex to purchase their their movement maker. Sorry, I forgot the name. Um, right is to go fully vertical you have so much control and i know that's another thing that we can dive into as well in-house and all that stuff um, yeah and the verticality of everything uh, but i do think it's very important because it i in my opinion it helps with r d helps to get you there faster doesn't matter how long like how closely you work with your supplier is they may always have different clients and they can't devote a hundred a hundred and ten percent of their time for you and to re-engineer, right? So doing that acquisition, I feel like, yeah, it, it was a very strategic move. I would equate Rolex for those that, you know, wanna find a modern parallel is Apple. Rolex is the Apple of, of watches. And most recently, Apple is the one that, you know, came out and said, we will, we will stop using Intel eventually. Right, and they're going vertical, and they are using, they're creating and making their own processors. Yeah, I think in terms of like verticality, and like the control that they want to have over their product, Apple is a very good parallel. Sort of different because you know there's less there's there's less control you can ultimately have with tech. Um. But yeah, I think in terms of like how focus they are in verticality very smart too um and i just thought about one uh, i hope we can one day talk about this more in full but is the whole minerva and mont blanc uh partner 
well, not partnership. I don't know if they're in the same partner, uh, same group now. But I know that Mont Blanc, they, um, I think they own Minerva, don't they? Because they came up with a series of watches um, two years ago that were very retro inspired, and a lot of it drew from old Minerva movements. And I know because the old tutor, I don't know if it's creative director, but someone ex-tutor that started Black Bay actually moved to Mont Blanc. And then that's where the whole retro aesthetic of Mont Blanc kind of came, came in. in. Yeah. I don't know. I think Mont Blanc definitely can get bankrolled to do it, but whether they actually did, I don't know. Yeah, well, we'll talk about know. that. I'll do a little, I'll try yeah. to do a little more research, but... Uh, I want to close that off by saying if you're looking at watches and you, you want something different, you can't look at Mont Blanc. Um, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great company. There's a lot of legacy behind it beyond the pens, you know, even though mechanical pens are really cool. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave it off as there. Darius, is there anything you want to talk about? Um, no, I think I'm good. No. I'm thinking I'm Any good. closing I, remarks? I always want... On, uh, closing blog? remarks? Yeah. Um, I had a closing remark. We we say this all the time. Is to like expand your choices and really delve into why you want something. With that closing remarks, I'm gonna tell you and everyone listening, I have not done that. Yeah, because you didn't. You want the off voice because of like, <laughs> that's fine. At least you you have acknowledged that. That's very. Uh, yeah, I love your closing remark. What I'm gonna end off by saying is gonna be a little more radical do whatever you want to do <laughs> get those off whites <laughs> i won't but uh but yeah all right this was a good podcast uh I, I think we i always say this but i think there are some really key key things in there and especially that segment we we uh, talked about in terms of the the gmt i hope if you're a watch enthusiast or you're a sneaker enthusiast, that you can take the tidbits and you can take, um, you know, what Darius was saying about being strategic with your purchases and implement that into your lifestyle. New shoes, new watches are always going to come. That's not going anywhere. But you don't always have to chase the newest things. Oh gosh, now you're making me regret the off white <laughs> comment. The off white comment. <laughs> All right, man. It was a pleasure. Glad we're doing this. Uh, just so you guys know, um, we are nearing, um, you know, getting, I guess, formalized our first guest onto this podcast. I, get, I think it's going to be pretty fun. Not going to release it yet. Shop Lost and Found. I still need to get out and reach, reach out to you. But um, yeah, I'm excited. We're going to get our first guest on here. On the upcoming weeks. Yes. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Like, comment, and subscribe. Yes. For those listening, I should probably do this better. Um, the IG is uh, springs.thread. And Darius, you can plug your IG as well. It's dar.ig. So follow um, on Instagram. Please um, follow this podcast on Spotify. Please also subscribe on uh, Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Google Podcasts. Those are the three platforms that we are focusing on. And until next time, thank you so much for listening to, to episode five. See you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.